Hi, everyone. Lou DeVizio here, senior producer at New Mexico in Focus. Thanks for checking out this podcast extra this week. Our usual weekly episode is up right now on whatever platform you use, but I also wanted to share separately a roundtable interview with New Mexico in Focus political correspondent Gwyneth Doland. In a recent Facebook Live conversation, Gwyneth caught up with three up-and-coming reporters who just got done covering their first legislative session in Santa Fe. Gwyneth asks them about their impressions from session and the legislative process, and about some of the legislation that they covered. We aired a small piece of this conversation on New Mexico in Focus this past Friday. This is the entire 17-minute discussion. Here's Gwyneth. I am Gwyneth Doland, and I'm here with Bella Davis, a reporter with New Mexico In-Depth, Jeanette Dedios with KUNM Radio, and Megan Gleason of Source New Mexico. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for having us. Um, so you were all local news fellows. Bella, two years ago, and Megan and Jeanette just finished this nine-month fellowship program in local newsrooms. And you're all new or pretty new to covering the state legislature in Santa Fe. I want to ask you first, how did that go? What is that experience like for a new reporter? Uh, Bella? Yeah, I think um, I, I really enjoyed it. It was exciting actually being up there. And I think a big part of that is because I wasn't up there very much. I think maybe that would have changed if I worked at a daily, but I was up there probably four or five times. Um, and, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was good, you know, um, talking with more experienced reporters and getting tips about, you know, navigating um, the website and how to like track bills more easily. So it's good. Experience. Well, I'm sure all of our viewers who have ever tried to look up a bill, feel your pain <laughs> trying to navigate that website. They do keep making it better. And, and even during this session, I noticed improvements that were making it easier. Um, but it can be difficult for a newcomer to penetrate. Megan, did you find that there was a little bit of a learning curve? Yeah, yeah, I was definitely relying on experience and tips from other more experienced journalists, like Bella said, and there are a lot of really great reporters in the roundhouse who were willing to help out, even if it's just directing me to where the cafeteria is so I can eat some food during the day. They were all very helpful. Yes, I believe it. <laughs> Uh, Jeanette, we were kind of working in tandem, you with KUNM and uh, along with our team from KNME. How different was it reporting for radio um, at the legislature compared to the work you've done for print in the past? Oh, it was definitely different. I mean, I think one of the main staples is that, you know, you still go about doing the interview and everything like that, but you really got to pay attention to the audio in terms of everyone around you and the equipment you're using. I know like um, K&ME had better audio quality. So we'd be in a pack room full of people and all you would be able to hear is yourself, Gwyneth. But on my end, I was like, oh, we have a problem here. <laughs> we're gonna have to go to a quiet place. <laughs> Jeanette, while we were up there, you, one of the things you covered was the Native American Voting Rights Act. And this is uh, the first of its kind in the country, a part of the election code devoted specifically to this. Um, what will that do? 
I mean, it's really historic. I mean, I'm really glad that it passed because it's a part of the voting rights bill, but within it is the Native American voting rights. So one of the things it does is a lot of Native communities are rural, especially here in the state. So what it does is it creates the opportunity for Native American voters to be able to vote at their tribal building or an official building in their reservation. It also creates more, it also allows them to use PO boxes because a lot of, you know, tribal members, they don't have a permanent address. There's nothing like that on the reservation. So they rely on PO boxes to get mail. And before now, that was not, you know, considered an official address to vote. So Megan, you covered the larger Voting Rights Act um, uh, that includes this Native American Voting Rights Act. Um, in, past, in, the, in the past few years, we've seen moves in other states to restrict voting, um, to uh, bring early voting down a little bit to restrict or make it more difficult to apply for absentee ballots, things like that. This was entirely different. Uh, what's it about? Yeah, the main goal of this is to expand voting rights accessibility and um, generally just make it easier for people to vote. So there are a few different things in this. Like you said, the Native American Voting Rights Act is in this. There are a few other clauses like requiring ballot drop boxes at every county, making sure there's at least two of them, creating a permanent absentee voter list so people don't have to re-register. And I think another really important one is for people who are convicted of felonies, uh, once they're released from a detention center, they're allowed to vote, which they currently can't do if they're on probation or other things like that. And I mean, they, to be clear, felons are allowed to vote once they're out and they've completed all this stuff, but it's a lot of paperwork and a lot of them fall through the cracks. And uh, we at New Mexico and Focus interviewed an advocate who said, you know, this is about bringing people back into society and they're more invested if they are following the news and they're able to vote and less likely to go back to prison if they are engaged that way. Um, so uh, Bella, the you are an indigenous affairs reporter at New Mexico In Depth. And one of the things you looked at was a proposed tribal education trust fund. What would this fund have done? Yeah, so tribal education is um, heavily reliant on, um, in part, on state grants that are given out annually, um, or I should say that tribes can apply for annually. Um, and for a couple of reasons, tribes um, often have trouble spending all the money in time. Um, and that's made it difficult for tribes to build um, sustainable edu education programs and um, actualize this vision of educating their own children, which there's a profound need for, especially in, in our state. Um, so this year there was a bill that would have um, created a tribal education trust fund. Um, basically the revenue generated from the fund um, would have provided reliable and, and automatic funding um, for tribes to build truly community-based programs, um, focusing on you know, language, college and career readiness, um, and, and many other priorities that vary from tribe to tribe. Um, but ultimately the, the bill sponsor sort of ended up tabling it um, with the idea of working in the interim and, and coming back um, with a, a bigger ask funding wise next year. And that is the fate of the vast majority of proposals that end up in the legislature. There are, I don't remember how many were uh, introduced this year, but probably, you know, some years it's it's close to, it's more over a thousand and sometimes 2000. This year we had just about 250 passed, which is 
um, sometimes a miracle that they even get that much done. But speaking of education, Jeanette, one thing um, you covered was, am I right, free school meals? Yes, yes. Um, I passed, I mean, I didn't do anything, but I reported <laughs> on a bill that was uh, geared towards free meals for kids all across the state. I mean, it's really a big issue, especially coming out of COVID, the pandemic. You know, there is a lot of kids out here in the state that don't have you know, enough money from their families to afford meals, breakfasts, and lunch. And in my reporting, you know, I've talked to teachers, I've talked to reps supporting this, you know, this is an issue we need to, you know, tackle. And it's heartbreaking knowing that, you know, kids go to school hungry, you know, and there's nothing that teachers can do. They're, they're just sort of sidelined, you know, they're tried as much as they can. So really, I think one of the biggest oppositions for this bill was like any other bill, do we have enough money for this bill? You know, that was pretty much every bill when, when we introduced and whether we can afford it in years to come. But, you know, I think people, you know, came around and you definitely don't want to be on the wrong end of this saying you don't want to give free meals to children yeah right? you look you look pretty grinchy and and you know a huge number of new mexico schools already have a majority of children getting free school lunch so this is an expansion that uh, i think some supporters said would be uh make the program easier uh make it more equitable and take some of the stigma away from the kids who do get a, a free school lunch um, and then, you know, as I as I was saying the other day, every parent knows how hard it is to stuff some flavor of nutritious breakfast in a sleepy kid's face before they get out the door at eight o'clock in the morning. It is always a challenge. And if someone else can be in charge of that with a bigger time uh, window, then, you know, happy to pass it off. Yeah, um, of course. I mean, like another thing about that too is that they're really focusing on the meals to be healthy. They're talking to nutritionists around the state. They are actually using farmers and, you know, everything across the state to make it local so that the revenue that comes in, it comes back into the state. Yeah, it's popular with farmers here. Um, so abortion and reproductive health care, gender affirming care, these gender affirming care, this is the first time uh, that I covered this phrase happening at the legislature. Uh, Megan, one of the things we saw was um, uh, some high school students from Albuquerque Academy coming up to support putting free tampons and pads in school bathrooms and they were successful. Uh, again, the first time I'd heard people talking about tampons and pads in a legislative hearing. <laughs> Surprising to me, but wow, change comes. Um, Democrats had some big wins on abortion and gender affirming care. Give us a short list here. Yeah, I think there were two major bills that got through and these were hot bills, very controversial. And Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham said beforehand that these were gonna be big priorities for her. So everybody was expecting these, but um, one bill protects healthcare providers and patients seeking or giving um, abortion or reproductive care or gender affirming care, which is anything that supports someone's gender identity, like transgender services. Um, and the other bill would prevent government entities from interfering with or discriminating against someone's use of those care services. Yeah, these are, again, sort of the opposite of the trends that we're seeing in other states 
uh, across the country where Republicans are in power and with a Democratic governor who made these priorities and Democrats with strong majorities in the House and the Senate, uh, these were some, there, there was a, a lot of debate, but it, they did not have that much trouble uh, getting these things through. Um, Jeanette, you reported, we both did, on a bill to support the creative economy. And this had, uh, this had supporters in rural areas, especially because a significant amount of the money is, is required to be given to rural communities. Is that right? Yes. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things when we're interviewing, we wanted to really just nail down what exactly is the creative industry. And I know it got kind of confusing and they had to go back and revise it because, you know, we talk about creative industry here in New Mexico, we talk about film, but the film office has its own thing. So that's not a part of it. It's really just local artists. I mean, you know, we talk about, you know, game designers, visual artists, dancers, architects, ceramic artists, you know, they would all be able to benefit from this program, you know, to help them see their art, you know, because one of the biggest staples is we want to, you know, showcase all the creative artists here in New Mexico and all the great things they can do and showcase for us. Yeah, that's right. Um, Bella, your colleague at New Mexico in depth, Ted Elkhorn, did a series of stories about alcohol in New Mexico. What was the, the uptick of the reporting he did before the session? Yeah, so the series was uh, exploring, yeah, as you said, you know, our um, crisis of alcohol in our state, New Mexicans die at um, nearly three times the rate um, of people elsewhere in the country from alcohol related causes. Um, the biggest cause is, you know, alcohol um, dependence related illnesses. Um, so there was a proposal um, this session to increase um, alcohol taxes. Um, advocates were shooting for something like 25 cents a drink, um, and this would have been um, the first time in, in 30 years that we would have raised um, alcohol taxes. Um, ultimately, industry lobbyists were able to kill the proposal, um, partly by kind of casting doubt on um, the science um, behind raising alcohol taxes, which is backed by experts. Mm -hmm. But didn't they end up raising it just a little bit? They did. Yeah, they raised it um, to, I want to say it's one cent um, for beer and slightly more than that for um, wine and liquor. But, you know, some advocates have said that they wouldn't even call that um, a raise because it's right. so small. Right. Um, another thing that you were looking at, Bella, is uh, the governor has had some real trouble with some of her appointees um, during her tenure in general. But this session you interviewed some people who were really upset about one of them in particular. Yeah, um, so this was um, the Indian Affairs um, Secretary position. Um, there are members of um, a state task force that was created by the legislature in 2019 to um, uh, address and find solutions to the crisis of missing and murdered um, Indigenous women and relatives in our state, which, um, you know, we have um, the most Indigenous um, women and girls um, who are missing and murdered um, in the entire country. So um, members of this task force have um, taken issue with Governor Lujan Grisham's um, appointment of James Mountain to um, that position. Um, he was accused of rape in 2007, um, and the charges were later dropped. But um, Task force members have said that um, the appointment has been upsetting for them because um, a lot of them are survivors themselves, um, and they're also, you know, representing survivors and um, and impacted families. 
Um, so, you know, they've been reliving their own experiences and they're also worried about um, this appointment jeopardizing their work to build trust with families and um, create a safe space for survivors, um, especially if um, the secretary designate were to become the chair of the task force. Um, the governor has has said that he is a really competent administrator. He has a, a long track record, a great resume. And I understand that his daughter wrote an op-ed supporting him and defending him against these allegations, which, as you said, were dropped. He was never convicted. Um, but the some of the supporters, uh, I mean, critics say the governor is tone deaf on this issue. Uh, but uh, on another topic, Megan, there was some work done on disaster relief. Uh, and you have done a lot of reporting on the fires we saw uh, last year. Uh, what did the legislature get done on disaster relief? There were a few different measures passed for disaster relief. Uh, like you said, last year we had a massive fire season in northern and southern New Mexico. We saw the biggest fires we've ever seen in this state. One of the first bills that the governor signed was sending 100 million in zero interest loans to northern New Mexico so they could repair infrastructure that the floods largely washed out and the state expects that'll be eventually paid back because that fire was caused by the feds and they've taken responsibility and paying for it. There was also um, the Black Fire in southern New Mexico, which hit around the Gila National Forest. That was the second largest fire behind Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon in northern New Mexico. They're getting the budget allocated $2 million for them, which is actually $1 million less than what um, lawmakers who represent those areas requested. Um, and they did discuss a few issues with why that $1 million was cut. And Senator Crystal Diamond actually brought up that in the budget, there's a million dollars set aside for a, a university telescope, although nobody requested that through legislation. So that was cut. The McBride fire, those sponsors also requested just over $18 million for their for repairs for their counties, um, but that was cut down to um, just under $7 million. And that work is incredibly difficult and expensive. Um, at, we've seen some of your reporting on the acequias that were damaged, and it's just a, a huge job. Well, I want to thank you all for coming and talking to us about what you've done. Uh, Bella, you are now um, a, a Report for America fellow at New Mexico in depth. Um, and congratulations to Megan uh, and Jeanette who got hired to stay on after your fellowships are over at Source and at KUNM. We hope to be hearing a lot more from you uh, this coming year. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks again for checking out this extra episode this week. As always, follow us on our social media pages. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And of course, check out our show Friday night at 7 o'clock on NMPBS.